0: Welcome to Sober Discussions, this is Steve and Mike, and sometimes you just need to take out the trash. Hello and welcome to Sober Discussions. Today we'll be discussing the backstory of the pilgrims, merchant and adventurers and how they played a part of the Mayflower, the expedition, the Mayflower Compact, some key Native Americans, Thanksgiving, and lastly a hard subject and some dark history you may not know about. So let's get started. This is a short glimpse. Of who the pilgrims are and then why they wanted to go to America. Uh, so this comes from Plymouth.org. Uh, it goes: the people who we know as pilgrims have become so surrounded by legend that we are tempted to forget that they were real people against great odds. They made the famous 1620 voyage, board the ship Mayflower, and founded Plymouth Colony. But they were also ordinary English men and women. To understand them. It is important that we look beyond the legend. This story will help you get to know these people now known as the Pilgrims through their first years of New England. England was a Roman Catholic nation until 1534 when King Henry VIII, who resigned 1509 to 1547, declared himself head of a new national church called the Church of England. Uh, Mike, have you heard much about the Church of England, by
1: chance? You know, I am very much not up to date on my uh, English history or knowledge, so I I know that it exists, but I don't know anything about it. Let's, just
0: for fun, while we're doing this, look at King Henry VIII and his religion that he made. Kind of interesting. If If I recall the story right, but I'm pretty sure he wanted to divorce one of his wives, and the Catholic religion told him that he couldn't, so then he created his own religion so he could. I think is how it went out. But, let's take a look at it. Okay, yeah. King Henry VIII wanted out of his first marriage. Uh, Though early signs of...
1: Secularism?
0: ...had surfaced in England by the 1520s, Catholicism still enjoyed widespread popular support. As for King Henry VIII... Anyways, um, but the 1527 King Henry had a big problem. His first marriage to Catherine... Uh, had failed to produce a son and male heir to the throne. King Henry had also become infatuated with one of his wife's lady-in-waiting, whose sister Mary had previously been his lover and encouraged the king's attention. He shrewdly refused to become his mistress, uh, setting her sight on a higher goal. So yeah, uh, basically, long story short, he created his own religion so he could get out of a marriage and, you know, do his thing. So the story goes.
1: There right? you go, history.com. Yeah, anyways,
0: kind of interesting. It's very important uh, that we know that because there is some, some crazy stuff going on around this time period, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Declared himself head of a new national church called the Church of England, although he and his daughter, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, changed some things that made the Church of England different from the Roman Catholic Church. A few people felt the new church retained too many practices of the Roman Church. They called for a return to a simpler faith and less structured forms of worship. In short, they wanted to return to worshiping in the way the early Christians had. Because these people wanted to purify the church, they call, They came to be known as the Puritans, another group considered very radical, Uh, went even further. They thought the new church of England was beyond reform called uh, separatists. Uh, They demanded the formation of new separate church congregations. This opinion was very dangerous in England in the 1600s. It was illegal to be a part of any other church than the Church of England, which I think is absolutely absurd. A separatist church congregation that established Plymouth Colony in New England was originally centered around the town of Uh, Scrooby in Nottinghamshire, England. Members included the young William Bradford and William Brewster, which is important, we'll talk about them later, like others who refused to follow the Church of England's teachings. Some of them were harassed, fined, or even sent to jail. When they felt they could no longer suffer these difficulties in England, they chose to flee uh, to the Dutch Netherlands. There they came, practice their own religion without fear or persecution from English government of its church. Mike, thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, that's something we enjoy here is religious freedom, and we haven't really had to experience what they went through. It'd be kind of strange to have a belief of some sort right. and to not be able to do anything about it. Uh, other than maybe just simply believe inside your own home and not really practice right. in a church building or anything. So that's, yeah, it's pretty unfair to them. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. And, and that's definitely a big push to uh, move and uh, find a place where they can, you know, do what they believe is correct. Right. Anyways, I, I just thought that was important. Let's uh, continue. So the pilgrims in Holland... Uh, this is in the netherlands although they had religious freedom life in the netherlands was not easy the separatists had to leave their homeland and friends to live in a foreign country without a clear idea of how they would support themselves the congregation stayed briefly in amsterdam and they moved to the city Leiden. there they remained for the next 11 to 12 years most found work in cloth trades while others were carpenters tailors and printers their lives required hard work, even young children had to work. Some older children were tempted by the Dutch culture and left their families to become soldiers and sailors. Their parents feared that they would lose their identity as English people. Makes sense. I mean, you're being turned in, like, you're staying inside of a culture that isn't you. And so, yeah, I I can see why they might feel that way to an extent. Anyways matters worse. Thanks, Mike. The congregation worried that another war might break out between the Dutch and Spanish. They decided to move. So they've been moving around a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, not a great time. What What's that name of that book that's by you, by the way? Eating the Plates. Yeah, so Eating the Plates. This was a book that uh, a good friend of mine named Wes uh, kind of loaned me. He had it since elementary school. Uh, read through it had some some interesting uh, standpoints but as i was reading through it it mentioned something called merchant adventures merchant adventures are kind of interesting we'll definitely dig a little bit deeper into it but i wanted to get uh, more information about who these people were Uh, the book was a little vague uh, so i I just wanted to uh, dig in a little bit deeper on it uh, and why they invested in the pilgrims in the americas anyways mike can you read that for us
1: Merchant Adventures, company of English merchants who engaged in the trade with the Netherlands from the early 15th century to 1806. The company chartered in 1407 principally engaged in the export of finished cloth from the burgeoning English woolen industry. Its heyday extended from the 15th century to 1564, during which period it sent its fleets to its market at Antwerp and the Spanish Netherlands, with cloth to be sold at the annual fairs. By the middle of the 16th century, as much of three-fourths of English foreign trade was controlled by the London officers of the company, many of whom served as financiers and advisors to the Tudor monarchs. After 1564, the Merchant Adventurers lost its market in the Spanish Netherlands, and a long search for a new one followed. After 1611, its foreign trading activities were centered at Hamburg, and one other and one or another town in the Republican United Provinces. The company was criticized in Parliament as a monopoly, and it lost many of its privileges in the 17th century. Its charter was abrogated in 1689, but the company survived as a trading association at Hamburg until the outbreak of... Isn't that
0: the Napoleonic Wars?
1: Until the outbreak of the Napoleonic Wars. Thanks,
0: Mike. A um, couple of things uh, that to, to think about. So... When uh, we look at when they left, it was uh, September of 1620, right? That's when they left. When we're looking at their trade route, like, they were cruising way past that to, like, 1689. So, like, they've been a big company for a long time. They we were kind of a monopoly, if you will. Uh, a lot of money to be had. They were inter-trading with multiple um, countries and things like that. Anyways, I thought that was important to bring up because these people wanted to go to a new land, and these people wanted to capitalize from it.
1: Mm.
0: And so that's kind of the, the pull for it. But uh, reading over the various sources of information, uh, there was a deal that the settlers would give intrinsic value in goods to the trade company in exchange to give them a ship to travel to the Americas uh, that we know as yeah, as Plymouth. Anyways, the problem was was well according to the new world incorporated so this is from uh uh, barnesandnoble.com this is an excerpt from that i also wanted to mention that the uh merchant adventurers came from britannica the long story short is mike is they kind of got empty-handed from this adventurer so the uh the excerpt was The Mayflower carried out no goods or commodities, nothing sellable, nothing of value at all. Instead, the hold, grown with rocks, loaded with ballast to replace the weight of 102 settlers left behind at a far different shoreline. Disappointed and willing to throw money after bad, most of the investors eventually sold out of the Mayflower venture and washed their hands of the New Plymouth settlers, the people who later referred to themselves as Pilgrims, Four centuries later, however, the tables turned, the commercial organizers of the Mayflower Voyage have long since been forgotten, while the Plymouth settlers have been enshrined as the true originators. The makers of America, indeed, the Oxford English Dictionary, the great storehouse of the English language, defies the Pilgrim Fathers as the founders of the United States. So I thought that was interesting that these investors are basically like, well, that was a ripoff. Like, I didn't get anything from it. And then a little bit later, now you've got the founders of the United States and these colonists and so forth from the people that went on the Mayflower.
1: Anyways, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Mike, any thoughts on that? These people were investors, and then... The, the merchant adventurers, right? Those were the investors. Oh, that's not these people. So this is the pilgrims themselves. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I should have clarified that better, but yeah.
1: So, okay. And so then... Mayflower. Mayflower. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Mayflower comes across and it's filled with the pilgrims who were part of the company?
0: They were uh, people, if you remember, from trying to leave uh, the Church of England. Okay. Those those were the people that moved a couple of times and then they found some investors that said, hey, uh, we'll give you a ship, we want your goods got it for you to go across because you're using a your freaking bow and like we want something out of it so give us your goods and stuff
1: okay but
0: it came out as a wash because all like if you read like all they came back with was a bunch of rocks and like no goods whatsoever they the investors got burned they basically like wiped their hands off and said good riddance and then uh, fast forward uh, and here we are
1: here we are Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah,
0: exactly. Anyways, I'm glad that you brought that up, Mike, uh, for sure. Uh, I can see how that would maybe be a little bit confusing, but let's talk about uh, the Mayflowers. This is from history.com. Mike, if you could read that for us.
1: First, the separatists returned to London to get organized. A prominent merchant agreed to advance the money for their journey. The Virginia Company gave them permission to establish a settlement, or plantation, on the east coast between 38 and 41 degrees north latitude and the King of England gave them permission to leave the Church of England, provided they carried themselves peaceably. In August of 1620, a group of about 40 saints joined a much larger group of secular colonists, strangers to the saints, and set sail for Southampton, England, on two merchant ships, the Mayflower and the Speedwell. The Speedwell began to leak almost immediately, however, and the ships headed back to port in Plymouth. The travelers squeezed themselves and their belongings onto the Mayflower, a cargo ship about 80 feet long and 24 feet wide and capable of carrying 180 tons of cargo. The Mayflower set sail once again under the direction of Captain Christopher Jones. So I, I thought
0: that was interesting because um, you got a couple ships uh, that were anticipating on going on this expedition. Almost immediately sprung a the leak. They had to, like... Send one back. Send one back. Load the boat. Load the boat. <laughs> and then go
2: to <laughs> the Americas. It yeah. was really
0: cramped. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I thought that was interesting. Because of the delay caused by the leaky speed, while the Mayflower had to cross the Atlantic at the height of the storm season, as a result, the journey was horribly unpleasant. Many of the passengers were so seasick they uh, could scarcely get up. The waves were so rough that one stranger was swept overboard. The excerpt was, it was just the hand of God upon him, Bradford wrote later, for the young sailor had been a proud and very profound young man. So kind of sucks for their timing, because they were planning on going around August, right? That's what it said, August. Yeah, yeah. But now we're in, like, September, um, going through... Storm season. It's like 66 days that it took to get there. It's a long time to be through there in the worst part of uh, the season.
1: Anyways. 66 days of sickness would sure suck.
0: That would, definitely. So the expedition uh, took place on September 6th of 2020. uh, Sailing for more than two months across 3,000 miles of open ocean, the 102 passengers of the Mayflower, including three pregnant women, and more than a dozen children were squeezed below decks in crowded cold and damp conditions suffering crippling bouts of seasickness and surviving on meager rations and at hardtack biscuits dried meat and beer um the excerpt that i read um i guess we can talk a little bit later but the voyage took 66 days some wore the same clothes the whole trip accounts of stench rats mold and infestation of bugs uh, ring throughout the description of the voyage, uh, from that book that I was telling you, Mike. Yeah. Um, certainly did not seem like a Princess Cruise Line experience. Or any Cruise Line experience. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I did find an excerpt I found that was interesting, uh, before we discussed the, uh, the Mayflower Compact. So, incredibly though, all but one of the Mayflower's passengers survived the grueling 66-day ordeal. We know that one passenger was lost at sea. Right. I mean, obviously, that just sucks. But uh, the Pilgrims even welcomed the arrival of a newborn baby halfway through the journey, a boy aptly named Oceanus. The Pilgrims' joy and relief on catching sight of Cape Cod on the morning of November 9, 1620 was recorded by their leader, William Bradford, in the Plymouth Plantation. Um, talking about meager rations and hardtack biscuits, um, There were, like, weevils um, eating through their bread. Uh, Cheese were molded. There was, like, descriptions, I'm assuming, from journal entries that they would say that people prefer to eat at night so they didn't see the bugs uh, in their food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stuff like that. Just was an unpleasant experience. But anyways, Mike's uh, thought on that.
1: That sounds like a pretty horrible trip. Uh... Yeah. I don't know what else to say besides that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly.
0: Um, let's continue forward and talk about the Mayflower Compla- uh, Compact and what happened. The Mayflower Compact was a set of rules for self governant establishment by the English settlers who traveled to the New World on the Mayflower. When pilgrims and other settlers set out on the ship uh, for America in 1620, they intended to lay anchor in North Virginia. But after treacherous shoals and storms drove their ship off course, the settlers landed in Massachusetts instead near Cape Cod, uh, outside of Virginia's jurisdiction. Knowing life without laws could prove catastrophic. Colonists' leader created the Mayflower Compact to ensure a functioning social structure would prevail, which I thought was important. Um, Let's talk about mutiny on the Mayflower. Uh, so, of the 102 passengers on the Mayflower, there were 50 men, 19 women, 33 young adults and children. Just 41 were true pilgrims, religious separatists seeking freedom from the Church of England. So, we've got 102 passengers. We just read that 41 of them were true pilgrims in this. So, a lot of people like just think that it was just all pilgrims that were there. Hmm. It was a bunch of different people. Uh, anyways, I thought that was important. As... We continue forward. The others were considered common folk and included merchants, craftsmen, indentured servants, and orphan children, uh, the pilgrims called them strangers, uh, seeking the right to worship as they wished. The pilgrims had signed a contract with the Virginia Company to settle on land near the Hudson River, uh, which was then part of the Northern Virginia. The Virginia Company was a trading company chartered by King James. Uh, the first, with the goal of colonizing parts of the eastern coast of the New World, London stockholders financed the Pilgrims' voyage uh, with the understanding that they'd be repaid in profits uh, with a new settlement. Uh, but when the Mayflower landed in Massachusetts instead of Virginia, which is important, discord began uh, before the colonists even left the ship. The strangers argued that Virginia Company contract was void, which it was. I mean, they're not even in the same area that that was. Right. You know, Right. discussed. They felt since the Mayflower had landed outside of the Virginia Company territory, they were no longer bound to uh, that company's charter. The defiant strangers refused to recognize any rules since they were no official government over them. Pilgrim leader William Bradford later wrote, uh, several strangers made discontent and mutinous speeches. Uh, which I thought was crazy. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on that?
1: So, they land in the wrong place, mm-hmm. and because they land in the wrong place, there's not, like, an official government there, right. they now just kind of go nuts. That's, Some of them, for sure. Definitely. It's just weird. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't Isn't know. that crazy? I'm trying to figure out what the purpose even is. Like, well, what? They're like... King George first. Yeah. King James? King James. Thank
0: you. They're like, he can't tell me what to do. I'm not even in his uh, territory that he wanted to
1: colonize. So, like, I kind of get it, but... I, I mean, I guess I can kind of see that, but if they're going to... I don't know, having mutiny with the other people on their ship or from their ship. I don't know. That's kind of weird to me. So
0: it, it seemed like they were like, hey, uh, we're here to colonize and do this. And then these other people were like, hey, I'm just going to do my own thing.
1: A lot of contention.
0: Uh, I thought that was interesting and worth bringing up. Anyways. That
1: makes sense, yeah.
0: Um, the pilgrims knew if something wasn't done quickly, it could be every man, woman, and family for themselves. Uh, Pilgrim's leader wanted to quell the rebellion before it even took hold. After all, establishing a new world colony would be difficult enough without dissents in the ranks. The Pilgrims knew they needed as many productive, law-abiding souls as possible to make the colony successful. Uh, With that in mind, they set out to create a temporary set of laws for ruling themselves as per-majority agreement. On November 11th of 1620, 41 adult male colonists, included two indentured servants, signed the Mayflower Compact, although it wasn't called that at the time. Mayflower Compact created laws for the Mayflower pilgrims and non-pilgrims alike for the good of their new colony. Uh, It was a short document which established that. uh, I like to just call it ground rules, right? That's kind of what I got, this idea from when um, I read yeah. it, but the colonists would remain loyal subjects to King James despite their need for self-governance. The colonists would create and enact laws, ordinances, acts, and constitution offices for the good of the colony and abide by those rules. Colonists would create one society and work together to future it, and colonists would live in accordance with uh, the Christian faith. In a sense, in the time period, they're just trying to kind of get along, um, trying to colonize. Um, I, I guess I get where they're coming from on that.
1: I mean, if you don't know set, if you don't know set some kind of rules, then they're gonna, people are gonna do whatever they want to do, and that's potentially can cause problems when people want to do two different things and they get in the way of each other.
0: No, definitely. So
1: good call. For sure. I think they did what I probably would have done. I mean, yeah. I, I would have probably rallied to try and set up some kind of rules so that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's not kill
0: each other. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. No. No, I I agree. Uh, Let's talk about some uh, key uh, Native Americans in this time period. Uh, Samoset, Masosite, and Squanto, and why they are important from our friends from the NBC, uh, Mike, if you can play that for us.
3: We all know about Thanksgiving in America today. Food, family, and football games. But what often gets left out of the story is the role played by the local Wampanoag nation. They were watching when the Mayflower first landed on Cape Cod. Curious about their intentions in Wampanoag Territory,
4: they sent a man named Samoset. Samoset was actually a sachem, or a chief, of the Abenaki people up in Maine. We don't know why he was in Plymouth, Um, so there's very little we do know about him, but we do know that his name means he walks the line, which is pretty cool.
3: Samoset first visited the English while they were still building their settlement, calling it Plymouth. He surprises them by saying hello
4: in English. We don't know exactly how Samoset knew how to speak English, but most likely it was from fishermen who were heavily fishing the coasts of Maine.
2: They actually sit him down, they give him some drink, some food. He tells them about the area. This is Patuxet.
3: Samoset explains that the village of Patuxet was one of many in the Wampanoag Nation that had been wiped out by a plague a few years earlier. He leaves the English and returns with a local leader named Massasoit.
4: Massasoit, or Usamekwin, Massasoit is his title. Massa in our language means great or big, like Massachusetts, place of the great hills. Massasoit means great leader. His name, Yellow Yellowfeather. He was the Sachem, or chief, of the Poconocan Wampanoag people, one of the original 69 communities. He is also in a community that bordered Narragansett territory, and after the plague swept through and the Wampanoags were so greatly affected, whereas the Narragansetts were not, the Narragansetts were moving to absorb the Wampanoag people into the Narragansett nation. So Massasoit thought it was in the best interest of his people to sign a peace treaty with the colonists as allies against Narragansett
3: encroachment. So, the English and the Wampanoag enter a treaty that would protect both groups from their enemies.
2: I don't know if you want to call Massasoit one of the first politicians back then when the colonists landed, but he knew what he had to do to protect his people.
3: Massasoit spoke some English, but he relied on one person to tell the English what the Wampanoags needed. His name was Squanto.
2: Squanto had something very special, right? He knew about both cultures. He knew about English culture. He knew about his own culture.
4: Tisquantum, who most people know as Squanto, was a Patuxent Wampanoag person. He had been kidnapped, and he was in Europe when the plague swept through from 1616 to 1618. With the help of an Englishman named Thomas Dermer, he was able to make his way back to Patuxent, where he found his whole community was decimated. I think it's easy to
2: Feel for him. You know, everyone he knew was gone. Squanto comes to live amongst the English sometime in the spring of 1621, and that's when Squanto taught the English how to plant corn. He sticks around because that's another form of diplomacy, you think about it. But it's a new homeland, new land for them, you know. So, the first thing you got to think about how do I get food? So, I can fish, but I'm thinking about getting vegetables too. Squanto taught him how to do that. He spends a lot of time with the English. He is considered to be the English's tongue, their voice.
4: But a lot of people didn't know that Tisquantum was also a little bit of a troublemaker. He would use the fact that he could speak English to his own advantage and he would visit Wampanoag communities and say things like, the English at Plymouth, they keep the diseases we're so terrified of and have no immunities to buried underneath the floorboards of their storehouse. You better give me gifts to appease them or else they're going to dig them up and wipe the rest of us off the face of the earth and then he keep the gifts. And he do the same thing to the English, but it's really difficult. As a modern Wampanoag person, to look back and kind of look down on Squanto. For all we know, he might have been trying to incite war early on. Who knew better than Squanto, you know, what the English were capable of? He knew that, you know, he spent a lot of time over there. But we really never know Squanto's true intentions. Whatever his intentions, Squanto's
3: actions caught up to him, and Massasoit places a bounty on his head. Because of his value as an interpreter, the English violate their treaty with the Wampanoag by refusing to hand Squanto over, but he soon dies of a fever while under English protection. Squanto's story is a warning of the problems that would eventually grow in Plymouth and even the rest of North America.
1: Anyways, no Thoughts on that? Well, that was all new to me. It's too bad Squanto was taking advantage of his situation. I mean, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't. But it sounds like that was just kind of laying the foundation for war between yep, the peoples. Yeah, that's that's too bad. But yeah, it sounded like they had a good start. But then, yeah, that kind of got foiled.
0: Definitely, and, and we will talk more about that a little bit later. I just thought that that was important that we talked about, you know, how the um, Pilgrims were able to uh, benefit uh, from from these individuals and uh kind of set the stage as it were uh uh, but let's continue let's talk about thanksgiving and a bit of history about it so in november 1621 after the pilgrims uh first corn harvest proved successful governor william bradford organized a celebratory feast and invited a group of fledgling colonies uh native american allies including the wampanoag uh, chief Massasoit, now remembered as America's first Thanksgiving. Mike, if you can play that for us. So,
2: We're all familiar with the story of the first Thanksgiving when the pilgrims invited local Native Americans to share a meal with them. But we bet you didn't know Thanksgiving didn't become an annual tradition until more than 200 years later. That first Thanksgiving in 1621 wasn't just one big meal. It was a three-day festival of eating, hunting, and other entertainments in honor of the pilgrims' first successful harvest. The Indians killed five deer as gifts for the colonists, so venison was definitely on the first Thanksgiving menu. But we bet you didn't know that turkey was not. They also didn't have pumpkin pie or potatoes, which hadn't been introduced to New England yet. And while they may have eaten cranberries, they would have been served plain, not in a sauce or relish. The Pilgrims didn't plan on starting a Thanksgiving tradition. In fact, they didn't repeat the November celebration in subsequent years. In 1789, President George Washington announced the first ever national Thanksgiving holiday, which took place on Thursday, November 26th, but it didn't become an annual tradition nationwide until the 19th century. That's when an American writer named Sarah Josepha Hale, most famous for writing the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, was inspired by a diary of pilgrim life to recreate that first Thanksgiving feast. Beginning in 1827, Hale waged a nearly 30-year campaign to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. She also published recipes for pumpkin pie, turkey, and stuffing that probably didn't appear on the pilgrims' plates, but would become the staples of modern Thanksgiving meals. In 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln announced that the nation would celebrate Thanksgiving every year on the final Thursday in November. But did you know? In 1939, President Franklin D. Roosevelt decided to move the holiday up a week to give Depression-era retailers more time to make money during the free Christmas shopping season. The move was widely criticized, and in 1941, FDR signed a bill fixing Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday in November, where it stays today. One of the quirkiest Thanksgiving traditions began in 1989, when President George H.W. Bush granted the first official pardon to a turkey. Every November (laughs) since then, the current Oval Office occupant has given a reprieve to one or two turkeys, sending them into retirement on a farm rather than to a dinner table. Though it only began in the late 20th century, the story has become one of the more unusual chapters in the long history of Thanksgiving traditions.
1: Mike, thoughts on that? That is like the most bizarre way that a holiday has come to be. That's right. like, I I appreciate that we can think of it as, as you know, being thankful for right. our country and like the pilgrims and all that, but it's... Kind of bizarre how that came to happen. That's pretty funny.
0: Uh, to bring to light. Yeah. Um, thought I thought it had a lot of good things um, about the history of it. Um, I think it's easy to be focused on one specific thing, but thinking about the history and what's happened uh, should really be what we should be talking about and not exactly, you know, Black Friday shopping or. Anyways, things like that.
1: I think it's a holiday that a lot of people kind of forget the purpose behind and the reason. We just are like, oh, we're going to be with our family and eat food, and everyone just kind of focuses on that.
0: Yeah, and the fact that this is our Thanksgiving edition, I definitely wanted to play that clip because, you know, between pardoning turkeys (laughs) or Black Friday shopping... Or <coughs> talking about our pilgrim uh, heritage or founding fathers and so forth. It's really interesting that way. Anyways, any last thoughts, Mike, before we continue?
1: No, I, I think this final topic we're going to talk about is going to kind of drive some things home. and Definitely. And uh, change the mood a little bit. But I think it's going to be important to, to bring up.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm going to be honest, um, talking to uh, one of my friends... Uh, Rita, she really wanted to make sure that we talked about that topic. So I did spend a lot of time trying to find good information about it just to make sure that I articulated that point. Uh, This is from insider.com. Here's a couple of bullet points of... uh, I I guess I should give a disclaimer. Uh, We're going to have a hard subject, uh, a little bit of trouble, uh, to start with uh, some bullet points. So most children in the U.S. do not learn the real history of Thanksgiving in school. The well-known story of Thanksgiving is an account of how the English pilgrims and local Native Americans came together for a celebratory meal in Plymouth, Massachusetts. In reality, peace didn't last long between the English settlers and their one-time Wannapog allies, and the two became embroiled in a devastating war just a generation after the famous feast. some people view the holiday as a reminder of systemic racism and oppression. Uh, Native Americans continue to experience the United States. Uh, so tensions grew between the Winnipeg and the English settlers years after the Plymouth Thanksgiving. Massasoit, the Sachem of, or paramount chief of the Winnipeg, uh, proved to be a crucial ally to the English settlers in the years after the establishment of Plymouth. Uh, He set up an exclusive trade pact with the newcomers and allies with them against the French and other local tribes like the Narragansett and the Massachusetts. But the alliance became strained over time. Thousands of English colonists poured into the region throughout the 17th century according to historic contact Indian people and colonists in today's northeastern United States. Authorities in Plymouth began asserting control over most aspects of the Wannapog life as settlers increasingly ate up more land. The Glider-Lerheim Institution of American History estimated diseases had already reduced the American Native American population in New England by as much as 90% from 1616 to 1619. So Mike, if you think about that, um, 90% from 1616 to 1619 You literally only have 10% of a population in three years.
1: That's pretty crazy. Insane. That's devastating.
0: Um, Up to this point, I didn't... I think I've heard that hinted. I didn't think I actually knew the number. I think that's important, but... And in a short span of three years. Three years. That's devastating. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, And indigenous people continue to die from what the colonists called Indian fever. Um, I think some people refer to it as smallpox, um, some people um, would purposely give Native Americans uh, blankets with uh, diseases on them, just to wipe them out. It's like an English-like disease that the Native Americans wouldn't have had. So now it's just like literally killing 90% of population in three years. Um, anyways, I thought that was kind of crazy. I'm not saying that's everybody right, but I definitely think that there were people that purposely wanted to eliminate these people. I mean, it was very very invasive thing that happened. It's horrible. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, by the time Massasoit's uh, son, Metacomet, known to the English as King Philip, inherited leadership relations had frayed. King Philip's war was sparked when several of Metacomet's men were executed for the murder of Punkepog, interpreter and Christian convert John Cess-Solman. warriors responded by embarking on a series of raids, and the New England Confederation of Colonies declared war in 1675. So, 1620 um, was when we landed. landed. 55 uh, years later. 55 years later, we've already declared war. Um, so, what's 50 years from previously from now? So, that's Um, 2010, 2000, 1990, 1980, 1970, that's like, that's like us going to some country in the 1970s and then declaring war on them now, basically. Yeah. Crazy. Initially, neutral colonies of Rhode Island and Providence plantations was ultimately dragged into fighting, as were other nearby tribes, like the... Narragansett. Peace between the Wanapog and the English settlers didn't last. The war was bloody and devastating. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts was burned to the ground. The Wanapog abducted colonists for ransom. English forces attacked the Narragansett on a bitter frozen swamp for harboring fleeing Wanapogs. It's just a bloody mess. Um, 600 Narragansett members were killed and the tribe winter stores were ruined. According to Atlas of Secura. colonists in far-flung settlements relocated to more fortified areas uh, while the Wanapog and allied tribes were forced to flee the villages. Colonists ultimately allied with several tribes like the Mohangans and the Pequots, despite all initial reluctance from the Plymouth leadership. Meanwhile, Metacomet had dealt a staggering blow when he crossed over into the New York to recruit allies. Instead, he was rebuffed and attacked by Mohawks. Upon his return to his ancestral home at Mount Hope, he was shot and killed in the final battle. The son of the man who had sustained and celebrated with the Plymouth colony was then beheaded and dismembered, according to happened in Rhode Island. His remains, allies were killed or sold into slavery into the West Indies. The colonists impaled King Philip's head on a spike and displayed it in Plymouth for 25 years. I've never heard this story until I was researching that today, Mike. It's absolutely absurd. Definitely didn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, a war didn't have to happen, but even the fact that it did happen and then they're going to be Brutal like this and like I mean who who does that?
0: Yes, our ancestors, right? I mean, it's pretty horrible. It is pretty horrible. It didn't have to be that way. Um, Yeah, it just goes to show, you know, power corrupts sometimes, you know. Um, In an article published in the Historical Journal of Massachusetts, the Montclair State University Professor Robert E. Cray Jr. said. The war's ultimate death toll could have been as high as 30% of the English population and half of the Native Americans in New England. The war was just one of series of brutal but dimly remembered early wars between Native Americans and colonists in New England, New York, and Virginia. Popular memory has largely clung to the innocuous image of a harvest celebration while ignoring the deadly force that would ultimately drive apart from the descendants of the guests. Of uh, that very feast, which is very true. The second set. So, well, I guess before we go in there, Mike, any any thoughts on that before we continue?
1: Well, I know we're kind of still in the middle of it, but what what I kind of keep thinking is we kind of just barged our way in here, and then I mean, based on what we've researched and kind of learned about here today, you know, maybe the war could have been the fault of both sides to some extent, but it certainly sounds like we did more brutal things and took it too far, and I don't don't approve of it or like it.
0: And it's been systemic. I mean, we look at the Trail of Tears, right? Remember the Trail of Tears? Um, Mount Rushmore, I believe, is on a... uh, Native American um, land that they kind of took over. Um, our reservations are crap that you know, we put these people in. Um, it <laughs> could have definitely been handled better, um, I, I think. On um, many, many fronts. People just got really greedy and um, really uh, didn't value human life, in my opinion. Um, anyways. Yeah. Let's uh, continue. So the holiday's dark past has some people rethinking Thanksgiving. Uh, Racial injustices in the U.S. came to the forefront in 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic disproportionately affecting people of color and police brutality, drawing attention across the U.S. and the world. Some people say it's time to reevaluate the meaning of celebration of the holiday. Teachers, professors, and Native Americans told the New York Times about how they had rethought the holiday, giving it a new name like Thanksgiving or the Thanksgiving Massacre. They recommend sharing the holiday's true history of the family gathering. Uh, some Native Americans have been doing this for decades on a larger scale. The United American Indians of England have been mourning on Thanksgiving since 1970, per the New York Post. On the National Day of Mourning, Native Americans gather in Plymouth, Massachusetts for a Day of Remembrance. Prayers and speeches take place accompanied by beating drums before participants among the Plymouth Historic Districts, the day's plagued say. On the National Day of Mourning, um, Native Americans gather in Plymouth, Massachusetts for a Day of Remembrance. Prayers and speeches take place accompanied by beating drums Before participants march through the Plymouth Historic District, the day's plaque says, National Day of Mourning. Since 1970, Native Americans have gathered at noon at Coles Hill in Plymouth to commemorate a National Day of Mourning on the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Many Native Americans do not celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims and the other European settlers to them. Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their land and the relentless assault on their cultures. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggle of Native people to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection as well as a protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience, erected by the town of Plymouth on behalf of the United American Indians of New England. Um, I thought that was a very powerful plaque to put on there. And they do meet every year. I totally understand why they do that. There's a lot of feeling uh, with this holiday. And I thought it was important to to share that for sure.
1: I'd say the vast majority of the American people that are not Native Americans don't know this.
0: I think we should definitely include it in schools. I think I they're trying to sweep it under the rug. I don't think it should be.
1: No, it's we made a mess and we're trying to not tell people about it it. we need to own up to what we've done and that's it I mean it's pretty horrible I completely agree Mike for sure Um, Um, yeah it'll make me look at Thanksgiving a lot differently now Uh, (laughs) I mean I was the ignorant American who just thought of Thanksgiving as that holiday you know commemorating when the pilgrims met with the Native Americans, and now I'm going to realize that we're celebrating something that isn't celebratory.
0: And I do think that we could have, you know, made differences. Obviously, we didn't. Um, we we could have done the right thing. Will I continue to celebrate Thanksgiving? Definitely. But I definitely will make sure that um, I think about that and educate others about it too. Um, I, I think it's a, important. Uh, part of her history, and we should definitely talk about it, especially on Thanksgiving. Yeah. For sure. Um, anyways, that's my opinion, but um, any other thoughts, Mike, before we get to our last section? I don't think so. Okay. It's actually pretty quick. Um, I do highly recommend uh, taking a look at the, uh, the website. So it's NativeAmericanHeritageMonth.gov. Uh, November is actually uh, Native American History Month, if you didn't know. Well, that was kind of interesting. Uh, November is National American Indian Heritage Month. The Library of Congress, National Archives and Records Administration, National Endowment of for the Humanities, National Gallery of Art, National Park Service, Smithsonian Institution, and United States Holocaust Memorial Museum join in paying tribute to the rich ancestry and traditions in the American people. We'll have that. Uh, link on our website. Um, If you look at it, they've got multiple things of Native Americans that are very interesting. I just wanted to uh, read just a very brief synopsis that they had on their website. Uh, What started at the turn of the century as an effort to gain a day of recognition for the significant contributions the Americans made to the establishment and growth of the U.S. has resulted in the whole month being designed for that purpose. One of the very prominent proponents of an American Indian Day was Dr. Arthur C. Parker Senessa Indian, who was the director of the Museum of Arts and Science in Rochester, New York. He persuaded the Boy Scouts of America to set aside a day for the first Americans, and for three years they adopted... Such a day in 1915, the annual Congress of the American Indian Association meeting in Lawrence, Kansas, formally approved a plan concerning American Indian Day. It directed its president, Rev. Sherman, Coolidge, and Arapaho to call upon the country to observe such a day. Coolidge issued a proclamation on September 28, 1915, which declared the second... Saturday of each May as a American Indian Day and contained the first formal appeal for recognition of Indians as citizens. The year before this proclamation was issued, Red Fox James, a Blackfoot Indian, rode horseback from state to state seeking approval for a day to honor Indians. On December 14, 1915, he presented the endorsement of 24 state governments at the White House There is no record, however, of such a National Day being proclaimed. The first American Indian Day in a state was declared on the second Saturday in May 1916 by the Governor of New York. Several states celebrate the fourth Friday in September in Illinois, for example, legislature enacted such a day in 1919. Presently, several states have designed Columbus Day as Native American Day, which I think is more appropriate in my opinion. But it continues to be a day we observe without any recognition as a national legal holiday. 1990, President George H.W. Bush approved a joint resolution designated November 1990 National American Indian Heritage Month. Similar proclamations under variants of the name, including Native American Heritage Month and National American Indian and Alaska Native Heritage Month have been issued each year since 1994. Mike, any thoughts on that?
1: Brings me back to that video where we learned about, I already forgot the woman's name who, like, fought for 30 years to make Thanksgiving a holiday. It sounds like there's little bits and things that have been done here, but uh, yeah, it kind of sounds to me like there should be a holiday that is not, maybe not necessarily well, I don't know. It could be a celebratory holiday to celebrate Native Americans, or it could be a holiday to uh, remember the things that have happened Definitely. to Native Americans. And maybe it could be some of both. Celebrate them as a people, but also uh, mourn with them for the, the loss and the tragedy that happened. Um, it sounds like we probably could do a better job as a nation of recognizing and remembering the Native, Native American peoples, because they're still here and they're still with us.
0: Definitely. I agree. Yeah. And it's important to value human life. Absolutely. And I think it is important that we recognize uh, Native Americans for sure. Um, Had a dark past. Um, I would love to see us move forward. Um, I'd at least like us to recognize our own history instead of sweeping it under the rugs. Yeah. Instead of having to dig for it. But. Anyways, kind of my thoughts. Uh, Mike, any other thoughts about our um,
1: episode? I I was thinking a little bit, uh, and and this is going back a little earlier in the episode, Mm -hmm. but I was was thinking about, you know, we, we learned about these pilgrims who came across the waters, and I know that it wasn't all of them, like we read earlier, not all of them were... Oppressed and going through those difficult things, but what did it say? Forty-one of the hundred (laughs) and two. I believe so. Yeah. Um, Anyway, hundred and two. I guess my hope is that that, uh, when the war started between the New English and the Native Americans, I can't help but hope that there were some of those who were the Pilgrims, maybe fought. To try and help them some way I the Native Americans in some way because I, I think if they were so oppressed and went through so many hard things themselves I just hope that they didn't take the first opportunity to uh, I guess what I'm saying is I hope that they would take an opportunity to care about the Native Americans as a people right. because they themselves went through such a hard time. If they forgot what they went through and then just kind of In the other cheek and didn't care, then that's pretty poor behavior.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. Standing up for the right thing should be what we should do, and sometimes it's not easy, but definitely doing the right thing is better than not, for sure. Yeah. Um, The fact that there was the turf war with Squanto... All the Native Americans wanted was just to have them get turned over and the English wouldn't do it because they didn't have anybody that could speak, you know, their language. It was difficult. Seems like you'd be able to try to work something out to communicate. Anyways, lots of interesting thoughts for sure.
1: Um, Lots of things handled poorly.
0: Yeah, definitely could have Uh, been handled better definitely could have had uh, some changes to say the least but yeah good stuff kind of a hard topic Um, I knew what I was getting into uh, but actually like researching it um, did change my perspective I didn't hear um, a lot of what I read especially with the Native American side Um, but anyways
1: yeah, eye-opening for me, and, and now as my children grow older, I can not sweep the truth under the rug, but actually teach it to them. Yeah,
0: definitely, and I think that's the most important thing. Uh, I'm not saying for us not to celebrate the holiday. Um, I really do enjoy the holiday. I think it does have a lot of good things, but I definitely think that we should certainly at least talk about Uh, you know, what happened in the history and also think about that in memory in conjunction with celebrating. Sure, yeah. Anyways, that's my thought. Um, Any last things before we wrap up? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we really appreciate you visiting us with our podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you for supporting our podcast. If you would like to check out our sources from today's episode, please visit our blog at soberdiscussions.blogspot.com. And if you would like to join the discussion, email us at soberdiscussions at gmail.com.